Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. Everyone knows those lyrics from Take Me Out to the Ball Game, but do you know where those snacks have been? Were they stored properly? Who touched them? And how did they touch them? These are the questions you will probably start asking yourself after you experience this outside-the-lines investigation into the concession stands at your friendly neighborhood sports venue. Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN's Paula Levine as we talk about how some of the biggest drama occurring at the arena might just be at the hot dog stand. Now we present What's Lurking in Your Stadium Food by Paula Levine and Sandra Fish. Most Cracker Jack boxes come with a surprise inside. At Coors Field in Denver, the molasses-flavored popcorn and peanut snacks came with a live mouse. A health department inspector found the mouse in a commercial-sized bag of Cracker Jack at Coors Field in September 2016, along with five live cockroaches in a trap in a storage room. Two weeks earlier, inspectors had found copious amounts of mouse droppings on a kitchen floor, in food prep trays, inside a bin of rice, and amid bags of cookies that had been chewed. Dead mice were found, and another live one had been found. Inspectors on both visits cited the Coors Field food locations with high-level health violations. Just a few of thousands of such violations found at North America's 111 NFL, MLB, NBA, and NHL venues in 2016 and 2017, according to an outside-the-lines analysis of more than 16,000 routine food safety inspection reports from local health departments. At about 28% of the venues, half or more of their food service outlets incurred one or more high-level violations, the type of unsanitary conditions or omissions that compose a risk for a foodborne illness. The violations run the gamut. Chicken, shrimp, and sushi festering at dangerous temperatures that can breed bacteria, employees wiping their faces with their hands and then handling food for customers, cooks sweating over food, beef blood dripping on a shelf, moldy or expired food, dirty utensils or contaminated equipment, and then the presence of live cockroaches and mice. Less serious but still icky, dirty floors, fruit flies, pesky pigeons, and in one venue, beer leaking from a ceiling. The venues with the highest percentage of food outlets that incurred one or more high-level violations in the two-year period include Spectrum Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, 92%, Palace of Auburn Hills near Detroit, which has since closed, 86.1%, American Airlines Center in Dallas, 83.1%, and Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, 82.6%. Being slapped with a high-level violation, often labeled as critical, priority, or major, depending on the jurisdiction, does not necessarily mean a venue is unsafe or unsanitary. After all, mistakes happen, no matter whether food is being prepared and served at a stadium kitchen, a fast food outlet, or a fine dining restaurant. But stadium environments carry unique risks because of the large number of people being served in a short period of time, said Patricia Buck, co-founder and executive director of the Center for Foodborne Illness Research and Prevention. There will be thousands of people at the stadium, and there will be maybe 100 at a restaurant. So the sheer number of people being exposed is going to be higher. So it would tend to be riskier if something like contaminated romaine lettuce was going to be served on a taco, said Buck referencing the recent E. coli outbreak linked to romaine lettuce that has sickened at least 43 people in 12 states. 
Buck said she does not eat at sports venues because it just seems to be a very chaotic situation where food is being prepared. Concessions at pro sports venues are a $2 billion industry, according to the National Association of Concessionaires. Although most health departments use some version or adaptation of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration Food Code or a comparable code in Canada to enforce proper food service practices, the specific food safety violations and the numbers cited by inspectors varies depending upon the diligence of the inspection agency or inspector. Some venues get inspected multiple times a year, whereas others might go more than 12 months with few, if any, visits by the local health department. At Washington, D.C.'s Capital One Arena, one of four venues not included in the the outside-the-lines rankings due to a lack of data, there were no routine inspections in 2016, and just one routine inspection of a sweet kitchen in 2017, for example. To try to compensate for such jurisdictional differences, outside-the-lines also used data from Hazel Analytics, a Seattle-based company that provides data and analytics of food safety inspection reports showing the average number of high-risk violations per inspection for food service outlets and restaurants in a stadium surrounding community for the 82 venues for which comparison data were available. Among those, 73 performed better than or as well as the community average, while 9 performed worse. Arash Nasibi, chief executive officer of Hazel Analytics, said he expects stadium outlets to perform better because in some jurisdictions, health departments notify stadium operators when they are planning an inspection because of stadium access restrictions and security concerns. He said most concession stands inside sports venues serve simple menus with much of the food pre-cooked. In 2010, Outside the Lines performed a similar analysis of food safety at sports venues, and the results were largely the same, although the methodology used and venues operating at the time were slightly different. In August 2017, Sports Illustrated published a story about violations at professional baseball stadiums, although SI used a different metric than outside the lines. One venue that ranked at the bottom for food safety compliance in both reports was Tropicana Field, home of the Tampa Bay Rays, which until this year had a contract with Centerplate, a concession and food service provider headquartered in Connecticut. In December 2017, the Rays sued Centerplate for breach of contract, alleging that the contractor surreptitiously cut corners, underreported gross receipts, concealed performance issues, underpaid the Rays, and underperformed under their agreement to the detriment of the Rays and their fans. The lawsuit referenced negative media coverage, including the Sports Illustrated and Outside the Line stories, noting that within a week of the latter, a center plate supervisor took two cups out of a spoilage container, washed them out, and added the dirty cups to a new stack. The Rays alleged that the resulting media coverage of the food safety violations, among other issues with Centerplate, tarnished the Rays' brand and caused the organization financial harm. In its response filed in federal court, Centerplate called the lawsuit corporate blackmail and factually meritless. Centerplate countered that the Rays filed the lawsuit shortly before the contract's expiration to force the concession company to forgive the Rays' significant debt and that most of the Rays' breach of contract claims fell outside a five-year statute of limitations. The lawsuit is pending. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that 48 million people get sick, 128,000 are hospitalized, and 3,000 die from foodborne disease each year in the United States. But it's unknown how often people get sick from food served at sports venues alone, because food poisoning, regardless of where it occurs, 
often goes underreported because people mistake it for the flu or believe that symptoms such as vomiting, diarrhea, or stomach cramps don't require medical attention or formal reporting. Although some contaminants can make people sick right away or shortly after eating, others, including several types of bacteria or viruses, might not trigger symptoms until several hours or even days later. By that time, many fans have returned to their homes, miles from the stadium or arena where they attended a game, making an illness even more difficult to trace, health inspectors told Outside the Lines. Some fans, however, are not shy about sharing digestive distress on social media, often including photos and tagging the social media accounts of the team. In April 2016, Twitter account at the Cat's Meow shared a photo of a hamburger in a moldy bun with City Field in the background. Thanks for the memories and the listeria at Mets hashtag Nikon Mets hashtag Free Burger. Another Twitter post from at Melissa G George in September 2017 tagged the Chicago Cubs account and read, "At Cubs, my husband and six-year-old woke up at 1:30 a.m. puking their guts up." Hashtag Check the Hot Dogs. Hashtag Food Poisoning. On July 4, 2017, Lawrence Levy took to Twitter and Instagram to post about friends of his who got sick after attending a Yankees game at Yankee Stadium the night before. Anybody else get food poisoning from Legends Buffet at Yankees from seafood last night? Blood work from hospital confirms bacteria poisoning. Read one tweet. Possible at least four people got food poisoning from at Yankees Legends Buffet at Yankees Silent. Read another. Levy is better known to sports fans as Marlins Man. At baseball games, he is often seen positioned behind home plate, and the July 3, 2017 game at Yankee Stadium was no exception. Levy said he took nine people to the game, and two fell ill overnight and into the morning on a flight to Miami. One of them went to the hospital. He said in a recent interview with Outside the Lines, Levy read from a notepad he said he saved from that day. This is what they were saying. They were doubled over. They were vomiting. Had cramps, headaches. Felt like their appendix needed to be taken out. He said, "The one who ended up at the hospital thought she was going to die. She was that sick. She missed three days of work. She did not eat for three days. The other woman stayed home from work for two days." He said. Both women confirmed Levy's account in conversations with Outside the Lines. The woman who went to the hospital said doctors told her she had food poisoning based on her blood work. But she said she did not recall if they identified a specific virus or bacteria. Meanwhile, Levy was starting to hear from other fans via social media who also claimed to have fallen ill at the game. He spoke to three people on the phone and asked them about where they ate and when they ate there, and compared their stories to that of his two friends. He said, based on that, he said he believed that they were all sickened by the shrimp cocktail sauce on a seafood buffet for VIP guests. Levy, who said he's allergic to seafood, didn't eat from the buffet and didn't fall ill. Levy said he kept in touch with the food and beverage staff at the stadium and passed along the names of the other fans with whom he'd corresponded. He said a woman from the food and beverage staff assured him they were taking his report seriously. Levy said he received a call from someone who identified himself as an inspector with the health department, but the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene has no such record of any complaint of foodborne illness at Yankee Stadium from Levy, any other individual, or anyone associated with Legends or the Yankees. Under New York City law, food establishments are required to report any suspected cases of foodborne illness to the health department. Failure to do so could result in the issuance of a violation subject to a fine. Jennifer Bozzelli, a spokeswoman with Legends, 
said that the company had been aware of a complaint from one of Levy's guests, but that Legends had done a full investigation and found that the source was not from Yankee Stadium. Upon her request, Outside the Lines sent a detailed list of questions, including whether anyone at Legends reported the incident to the health department. In response, Bozzelli instead issued a statement without answering the questions, which read in part, The health and safety of our guests is paramount to us, and we adhere to the strictest of safety standards to ensure that only the best quality of food is served in accordance with all health department standards. We have invested significant resources, including but not limited to strict policies, procedures, and training to ensure the equipment and preparation of our food meets those high safety standards. When asked whether Legends was issued a violation and or fine in connection with this incident, a New York City Health Department spokesman wrote in an email that the department investigates suspected cases of foodborne illness and pursues enforcement action as appropriate. The spokesman instructed outside the lines to file an open records request for any such violations, and a response December 4th revealed no record of any such violations. In the outside the lines analysis, 79.1% of the outlets at Yankee Stadium had one or more high-level violations over 2016 and 2017, with only five other sports venues having a higher percentage. Yankee Stadium, however, performed better overall than New York City's average of high-level violations per inspection at all food establishments. In Levy's case, he said he believes his friends fell ill from the same source as the strangers he connected with via social media. But when multiple fans in the same group get sick after attending a sporting event, health inspectors say it's possible they could have been sickened by something they ate earlier in their trip. Such was the dilemma faced by the University of Wisconsin marching band after a visit to Indianapolis on December 3, 2016, when the band played at Lucas Oil Stadium for the Big Ten championship game between Wisconsin and Penn State. According to a complaint to the Marion County Public Health Department in Indianapolis, 19 band members became ill with vomiting and diarrhea, with the first report coming in at 7.45 p.m., shortly after the band had eaten boxed lunches containing sandwiches, chips, cookies, and apples provided by the stadium food service staff. Only someone familiar with the band's formation would have noticed the handful of students missing from the halftime performance who were being tended to by stadium paramedics, said Darren Olson, assistant director of bands. Several other band members powered through the halftime show despite not feeling well, he told Outside the Lines. It was challenging, Olson said. The second they got off the field, they decided they would get looked at. Olson said the school chartered a separate bus for the six students' trip back to Madison, Wisconsin. Olson paused when asked to recall the five-hour ride home. It was, as you can imagine. Marion County, Indiana Health Department spokesman Kurt Branningham said it is suspected that the band members had norovirus, a common virus associated with food poisoning. Branningham said that a two-week investigation after the complaint did not find a link between the illness and any place the band members ate during their trip, and no definite conclusion was found as to the source of the illness. The inspection report that followed the complaint revealed a history of good food safety practices at the stadium and no current violations. Also, none of the other groups that consumed the meals reported any illnesses, the report stated. In some of the complaints reviewed by Outside the Lines, Health department inspectors did find violations when they visited the suspected location or venue. When an inspector arrived at a kettle corn outlet at Coors Field in August 2017, 
In response to a fan reporting being ill after eating kettle corn, the inspector saw an employee repeatedly eating kettle corn from the hopper with gloved hands and not removing the gloves or washing his hands, which were critical violations. At Coors Field, 71.2% of the food outlets had one or more high-level food safety violations in 2016 and 2017, though the venue overall performed better than the surrounding area's average of high-level violations per inspection at food establishments. Although it's not as headline-grabbing as moldy buns, mouse feces, or crawling cockroaches, improper hand-washing is actually the top contributor to the spread of foodborne illness. Sports venues can have unique challenges in that regard, said public health specialist Sarah Liggins-Coley with the Oklahoma City County Health Department. Venues often employ temporary workers, she said, and many also allow nonprofit organizations to run concession stands as fundraising events. As a result, there might be food service workers who are not fully aware of food handling rules, including proper hand washing, or who are unaware how to properly clean equipment, she said. It's an ongoing education battle of telling people what the proper procedures are, as opposed to you maybe dealing with the same person in a one-stop shop establishment compared to arena-style inspections, said Liggins-Coley, who inspects Chesapeake Energy Arena, home of the NBA's Oklahoma City Thunder. At Chesapeake, only 18.4% of the locations were cited with a high-level violation over 2016 and 2017, and it performed better than the community average. Handwashing can factor in in unexpected ways, such as someone's bare hands coming into contact with ice while scooping it out of an ice machine, Liggins-Coley said. That can be a big problem at stadiums, where people often drink more than they eat. Many people don't even know that ice is food, she said. One confirmed case of foodborne illness at a sports venue stemmed from contaminated water used to supply ice for fans at the 1987 University of Pennsylvania Cornell football game in Philadelphia. More than 158 students, band members, football players, and spectators reported symptoms of gastrointestinal illness, according to the CDC. Ligans-Coley added that a sports venue's off-and-on operation can also cause problems for equipment, designed to keep foods hot or cold, and a stadium size and multiple doors and openings can make bug and rodent control a challenge. Ed Gillity, Senior Vice President of Risk Management and Sanitation for Levy, which has more concessions and food contracts with professional sports venues in North America than any other food service or concession company, wrote in an email to Outside the Lines that workers at each of his company's venues partner with local health departments and third-party experts to develop nuanced approaches to developing safe practices and standards to comply with federal, state, and local requirements. Levy has a comprehensive food safety training program at all of our locations, training all team members on employee health and personal hygiene, time and temperature controls, and preventing contamination, he wrote adding that temporary employees and nonprofits volunteers receive the same level of training to ensure the highest level of sanitation for our guests. According to inspectors' notes and interviews with inspectors, most violations at sports venues are the result of mistakes or oversights and not blatant or intentional acts of malfeasance, such as was displayed in a video that went viral on social media earlier this year of a food service worker at Comerica Park in Detroit spitting on a pizza that would later be served to fans at a Tigers game. The worker pleaded guilty to one felony count and one misdemeanor count on food law violations. It was appalling, said Liggins-Coley after watching the video. That leads to a biological hazard. 
Let's say that he had norovirus, Shigella, E. coli, or even hepatitis A. It's unfortunate that people would do things like that, and it's something that I wouldn't want to deal with as a health inspector. To learn what is typically involved in monitoring food safety at a sports venue, outside the lines followed an inspector from the Environmental Services Department in Wake County, North Carolina, through the kitchen and a concession stand at Raleigh's PNC Arena as workers prepared for an October 30, 2018 hockey game between the Carolina Hurricanes and Boston Bruins. Thomas Jumalan's official title is Environmental Services Team Leader, but it's easier to think of Jumalan as a clean freak house guest. The way Jumalan demonstrates proper handwashing makes it seem as though he's preparing to take a scalpel to a patient for surgery rather than to stick a thermometer in a smoked brisket to check its temperature. All right, excellent. 39 degrees, he said, inspecting the stack of meat in the main kitchen's walk-in refrigerator. Okay, so his cooling process works, for all intents and purposes, as it should. Jumalan goes through each section of the kitchen, explaining the importance of proper temperatures, equipment cleaning, chemical storage, separation of raw and cooked foods, and a multitude of other rules directly related to the risk of toxins, bacteria, and viruses. He pulls a bag of spinach off a shelf because there was no date written on the package. All right, so we'll toss that. When you've got cut leafy greens that are opened up, rules require them to be date-marked, he said, which helps to know how long it's safe to keep before it risks harboring bacteria. Whatever bacteria is there, the moisture in here will support that bacteria to grow. So that's why we always want to make sure we control the date marking. Jumalan enters the dry storage area and spies a giant metal can of pizza sauce with a large dent. We want to make sure that we don't have anything like this. That should never have been accepted. This is a good way to introduce botulism into a produce, he said, and hands the can to the chef to set aside for disposal. You can have immediate paralysis, long-term paralysis. It is a neurotoxin and it will kill you. Jumalan's thoroughness is backed up by the data from Hazel Analytics, showing that Wake County inspectors issued more high-level violations per inspection than all but one other health department included in the analysis. In the the outside-the-lines analysis, 68% of the outlets at PNC Arena were cited with one or more high-level violations in 2016 and 2017, but the arena performed substantially better than the community average. Despite the handful of issues, Jumalan points out at PNC Arena's main kitchen, which prepares foods as different as salmon and bread pudding, as well as its trademark house-smoked brisket. He said the arena typically scores well by Wake County standards, having received a 97%, an A grade, on the main kitchen's June 22, 2018 routine inspection. But, he said, that's still no guarantee all food is safe. I can have one and a half points taken off because I have raw hamburger that's above ready-to-eat salad, he said. If everything else is okay, I've got 98 and a half. I got an A. It's okay when, in essence, it's not. I can have an A grade and still have things that are bad that can get you sick. PNC Arena is one of the few major pro sports venues in North America to essentially run its concessions in-house under a company called VAB Catering, and not on contract with one of the major national food service companies. Chris Diamond, vice president of VAB Catering, said he is someone who looks for a health department rating as soon as he walks into a restaurant. But he said it's important to do further research to see exactly which violations contributed to a location's score, stressing that it could be a few little things that add up. As Diamond stood in the concourse answering a reporter's questions, 
He watched fans stepping up to a concession stand that scored a perfect 100 on its last inspection, a rating noted on a health department sign placed overhead. We're pretty proud when somebody sees a 100 when they walk into a concession stand, Diamond said. And if the food's good, it's even better. Joining me now is ESPN's Paul Levine. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time today. You're welcome. So this, uh, your investigation, it was pretty remarkable. And first of all, like in this, the spirit of, as we are in the holiday season, this a little bit to me felt like, you know, finding out about Santa Claus, like we all sort of knew, <laughs> but we really didn't want to know. I've been hearing a lot of that. Yes. <laughs> And so as you went through all this, like, did you, my first question, I guess, is did you find that like the analysis, and I know you made a, a, like your, your story makes a good point about how there's really, the standards are so different from different places, but did you feel that those are, those are caught, like are almost all the ones that are violating, or is this sort of meaning that this is an issue in control, or is this actually leads you to believe that this is just the tip of the iceberg in the sense that this is what they catch, but it's amazing what they probably don't catch. <laughs> that's a yeah, that's a really good question. So there is there are differences. There are more similarities than differences. So mm-hmm. that's why we feel it's you know it's we're still good with making you know comparisons. Keeping in mind that yes, I mean there are there are differences in some places where uh, you know what what are people considering to be really egregious versus. Um, you know, what another inspector might not look twice at. Mm-hmm. It has been now when we did this story just now, and then also when we did it back in 2010, it's been really interesting to me how in some places inspectors go to these uh, food outlets multiple times a year. And obviously, you know, the more often you go, the more likely you are to, to possibly find something Whereas there are other venues where maybe they'll go once, maybe like with a Capital One Arena, they don't go for an entire year, right. almost two years. And so I think the latter part of what you said is perhaps true, that, that there are things happening, there are more things happening that aren't being caught in many cases. Um, and one thing, I, I don't know if we noticed it as much this time as we did last time, but last time when we did this, uh, there were inspections that were being done, and they were being done when there were no people at the venue. <laughs> like, so the inspectors were only able to take a look at: Does your equipment work? Right. You know, are there are there rodents? Are there you know are there are there mouse droppings and so forth? Right. I right. didn't see a lot of that this time. In fact, I can't. But yeah, that was. It's always the case where uh, I think that's what the inspectors look at, like the big things, like are. Are you uh, are your employees following proper hygiene protocols? Um, is the food being held at hot or cold temperatures that are safe? Um, do you have live mice? Do you have cockroaches and so forth? Like those oh. things are are, are considered high level violations in, in, in across the board. Mm-hmm. But I think where you do see variation is, you know, are are your inspectors? you know, really doing their jobs. Are they really sure. going there enough times a year to, to, you know, to, to be adequate? It seems like, you know, you hear these stories like in different sports with the collective bargaining agreement. Like if you have been, you will be text tested X amount of times and not after this date. So if 
like, oh, wait, that was my last whatever test, so I can probably take this now until this point. You know what I mean? So it seems that some of these, like, it's these loopholes that they can sort of, or quotas that they can sort of count on, like, oh, they won't be back for a year, so we don't, we can probably not make whatever if we don't want to, a priority for like nine months. Right. You could say that about the restaurants, too, though. I mean, you could say, I mean, that's not just a stadium thing. I mean, if, if the health department's policy is we inspect once a year, mm-hmm. if you're a restaurant as well, I mean, it's, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I think in some places where they consider stadiums like, stadium like venues a higher priority, they might inspect more often. But yeah, sure. I see what you're saying. It also seems like there was uh, a lot of room for loopholes in some of the, the anecdotes you had where, you know, like a paperwork story, meaning if something doesn't happen on paper, like, did it really happen? Like, like people know that certain teams have gone to the final four, but on paper they've been vacated and they haven't. And, you know, so the question is don't get it on paper. Like the Yankee story you tell of uh, Lawrence Levy, a.k.a. Marlin Man, and his guests at Yankee Stadium, it seemed that the concern was to not necessarily – I'm not going to just accuse them like they didn't want to fix anything. I'm sure they probably worked on whatever it was. But it seemed like there was a very big push to let's make sure we don't get this technically on the record. That whole story is quite the mystery because Lawrence Levy, uh, you know, Marlon's man, right? He got quite the Twitter following. And, mm-hmm. and it was known that he was on Twitter posting about this, right? And, and the Yankees... The legend, their food service provider, Mm -hmm. confirmed that they knew about this incident at the time. Now, the health department has no record of it until I contacted them. They had no record of it. And it is required under New York City food law for food establishment when it gets notice of a possible case of foodborne illness to report it to the health department. The, The other weird thing about this is, though, that Lawrence Levy is adamant Mm-hmm. that he got a call from someone identifying himself as an inspector with the New York City Health Department. So that's where it's, that's the part of it where I, I'm, my, to, to this day, my question is like, who, who actually called him? Right. And, and, and how did, and why really is there no record with the New York City Health Department that, that this happened? Maybe it was Hal Steinbrenner. Um, <laughs> You said that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, it's, it's it is though. It's, it's quite it is quite a mystery. And uh, and you know, when we uh, when I asked the health department, I said, well, you know, now that you know about this, and and that they they said they were aware of it, you know, what action is going to be taken? You know, will 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 legends will they receive a violation for this? Will you do more research and find out that that for some reason they won't? And, and their response to me was, well, you can file an open records request or you can check on the website. So, uh, well, I think we'll have to see what, what really ends up happening with that. But it, it was it was sort of an interesting um, situation. But it, it raised another, and this is something that I, that I don't, I don't know if people catch on to, but it raises another interesting point about this. And it goes to what you just said about, you know, there being, you know, sort of documenting this, right? Mm-hmm. With all of these fans going to social media with their complaints, right? And we, we had a few of them in the story. Mm-hmm. And when they go to social media, they oftentimes tag the account of the team. The question is, does that create any sort of obligation on behalf of the team then to, to look into that? Sure. And 
And, and yeah, and to your point though, it's also about proof. Where like as you mentioned earlier, finding a mouse or a bug is one thing, but there seems to be this like nebulous area of deniability of someone who does get sick because they can. It seems that all these teams are like, well, did you eat anything else in the world that day? And you can. Blame it on that. But then, of course, you want to talk statistics. The numbers suggest that every facility that blames somebody else's food doesn't add up. Like, it's impossible that everyone can get sick, everyone else in the world, except your facility. Right. Well, and it's, and it's the interesting thing with, with the Marlins man case is that uh, it wasn't just people from his own group. Like, a lot of times, like we had an we had a, a example in the story about the University of Wisconsin marching band. Huh. Right. Uh, getting sick after eating at Lucas Oil Stadium, and 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 seeing as they ate at so many other places all together through the rest of their trip, mm-hmm. the health department wasn't able to, to determine anything. And and but with with Levy's case, his claim is it wasn't just his friends; it was complete strangers who he believes, you know, based on you know he, he's an attorney. So right. uh, just to give you know give people some perspective, you know pretty uh, prominent attorney. So he did some, what he said was detective work and determined that these people uh, who were not part of his group and, you know, didn't obviously weren't with his friends earlier in the day. Like this is how he came, came up with this. But yeah, it's, it is really hard to trace this back. And one interesting thing that one of the health department inspectors told us, which was unique about the stadium environment. He said, look, he said, you know, these are professional games right and a lot of people who come to these games either come from different parts of the state or even different parts of the country mm-hmm. and the way foodborne illness works is some there are things that that you can get sick from right away right, right away or within an hour or two afterward but a lot of cases a lot of times it's like you know a day or two later mm-hmm. so he says so let's say something did happen at a, at a venue and you know five people or more however many got you know uh, exposed to this they all go back to five different areas. Mm-hmm. Two days later, they're sick. They don't connect this at all to what they may have eaten back at the stadium, you know, over the weekend. Right. And I mean, they're like, yeah, all in different yeah. health departments. They all report different things. And so it's it's very hard. It's, it's, it's especially because, you know, food food gets dumped, um, you know, places get cleaned up. It, it's, it is. It's, it's very hard, I think, any health department inspector would say to um, to trace a lot of this stuff. Well, that's why, you know, we recently had, hey, everyone, take your romaine lettuce and throw it away because we have no idea where it came from. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and it's, like you know, you don't – it's like we should all sit down. Like if you and I go to a game tonight, Paula, we sit down and like, hey, Paula, you get the left. I'll get the right. Let's get everyone's names and numbers so if we don't feel well, we can call them in a couple days. (laughs) Exactly. It's not going to work. You don't do that. No. And another, no, of course not. Another issue here, not like a negligent issue, but necessarily, but another issue here seems like it's personnel, and it seems very difficult. Like when I was reading this, and like you know, everyone's been to these venues, and they they interact with people who work at concessions or whatever. And it's, I'm gonna for the vast vast majority of these people, like this is not their only job, and like in for them to come in for the wage that they're getting, and to suddenly also be responsible for the amount of codes they probably should know it's it seems that there's also a big margin here where people could be well yes like you had like there's like the viral videos of the pizza thing which is so gross so it's just let it live on its own 
uh, in Detroit. Uh, <laughs> right. Blech. But in Comerica, yeah. In Comerica. But then there's also a bunch of people who intentionally uh, don't know don't know what they're doing or probably feel terrible about it. Like there was that one line that you had in the story parlor where people was like, that woman said, um, they don't understand that ice is food. Like, so you can't like take an ungloved hand and take a cup and like touch the ice. So the next person's ice had your hands on it. Like they may, they might not know that. And so it it seems like while some of it is like, you know, you can, be like, hey, listen, if that's over there, that's gross and whatever, there's like some gross negligence going on that maybe you can connect those dots. But it seems that there's another whole element here of just, I mean, not ignorance is bliss, but ignorance is, you know, detrimental. Like, oh, I didn't know I couldn't leave that bag of lettuce right there. I was in a hurry. Right. Yeah, I think you've got three levels of things here. You've got the you've got the guy at Comerica Park spitting in the pizza. And I'll tell you right now that that is an anomaly. Yeah. Right. And, and thank God for that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you, you rarely you rarely see people doing things intentionally uh, like that. Now, one thing we we did see through some of the inspection reports, there is there is occasionally a level of carelessness. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and you can just tell that based on the inspector's notes. But I would say, as you point out, I mean, more often than not, it's just it's just not knowing. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, there are notations oftentimes in the reports about inspectors saying, like, employee, like when we asked the employees the protocol, they didn't know it. There's, you have a lot of, this is, I think, when you talk to health department inspectors about some of the challenges, like, this is one that comes up. When we talk about how, how stadium environments are different than restaurants, right, you have a lot of, you have a lot of temporary workers and then you also have venues where they allow uh, nonprofits to come in and run the concession stand right. to raise money, which is great. Like, that's wonderful. It's a great community service thing. You know, more power to them for, for letting them do that. That's Absolutely. great. But you, have, but you have volunteer workers, and, and they may be the, the most well-intentioned people, but you've got a bunch of volunteers who have never done food service before. You give them the rundown of all these uh, rules, and then you put them in an environment where they're serving food so fast, mm-hmm. <laughs> so many people. You can I mean, it, it, it's it, you. You can see where things you know could possibly go wrong, and even with people having the best intentions. So, I want to ask you about Thomas Jumalon, the uh, yes. kind of pro, the environmental service team leader there down in Wake County, North Carolina. He seems like he should. Probably. Yep. He seems like he should. He's not only born to do this. But there should be like a cabinet level post, and he should be the secretary of it of stadium food. I would not disagree with you on that. I'm telling you, like I, he he put the fear of God into me after <laughs> spending some time with him because I was like, man, this guy washes his hands like an Olympic sport. Yeah, I mean he he was so passionate about food safety. I was I was impressed. Like you know, we we did we knew we were going to go down there. We we're going to talk to a health inspector. Like, oh, how's, how's this going to go? I mean, he was so so very um, cognizant of every possible thing and how even the smallest of mistakes could, in a worst case scenario, result in something that you know could could harm you. I mean. He's like the he's like kind of like the last person you might want to have over for for dinner. Yeah, <laughs> you know? or no, he's well, Paula, Paula, he's either the last person or the first person. Well, if he's make, I would go to dinner. I would probably eat off his floor. Exactly right, house, right. 
And I'm kind of a germaphobe. Like, I'm, I'm the person who, like, after I make raw chicken, I boil water on the stove and I pour it in my sink, right? So oh, this yeah. just gives you an idea of where I'm at on this, right? I would even be afraid to have him come into my kitchen because he, you know, he's just, um, he's, he's just really passionate about this. And he, he talks about all the different ways that uh, things can go wrong. And he, he also makes, he, he's such a good perspective because he, he does one of two things. He says, look, these people here at this kitchen and at this venue, they're trying very hard and yes. they do, they do a good job and they care about what they're doing. He says, and they, you know, and, and then we were talking about, we we're standing in front of the, the grade that they got, they got an A, it was a big A mm-hmm. and uh, it was like 97% or something. He says, but then he says, and this is a good, this is interesting because he says, look, he says, they got an A, they got a 97% or whatever it was. He says, however, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that everything is good. And, and he points out that even the, the three points or however many points that got taken off, those were three possible things that could have led to something bad happening. And he points out it only takes one. Right. Right. And so he puts, he adds a real perspective to ratings and to, to violations and, and to so forth. And of course, everybody strives for a hundred percent. And, mm-hmm. and, but it, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it's uh, it, it was uh, it was intimidating <laughs> to be with him. I will definitely say that. So I guess like when I see like what someone like Thomas brings to the table, and then we talk we we talked earlier about like oh yeah we'll be back in a year. It just seems that I mean I know we have different states and everything, but it just seems like why wouldn't there not be some adoption of like a national standard? Well. Two things. I mean, one is you can adopt it, and there has been some talk about that. I, I think you can adopt a national standard. The the the, the second part of that is, um, you know, how do you how do you make sure that you have the same diligence of inspectors across the board? Because sure. even if everybody has the same rules and, and same things, like how do you know you know how good they are at looking for them and and so forth? But um, yeah, I think there's. Like I said, there's there, there's enough similarity, but but you're right. There really isn't in terms of how often inspectors need to come, and when they need to come, and and you know how many inspectors you have to have. You know, do you have the same? Do you have the same person do the entire stadium in one day? Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that there's been some research done on on inspector burnout. Sure. Um, oh yeah, I would imagine. So, yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think to some degree that would be helpful. Um, But everyone gets excited over the. I'm sorry. I'm just saying, not everyone gets excited over the temperature of cheese like Thomas Jumalan does. No, absolutely (laughs) not. No, not not everybody gets excited over the temperature of cheese. And (laughs) and it's just it's it's I was having this discussion the other day. I said it's it's almost you know you can look at um, you can look at crime enforcement the same way, right? I mean, you you know in some areas. you're going to have higher numbers of, of, you know, people speeding and reckless driving and so forth. And you may have a lot more cops and more vigilant cops and in that area, whereas in the other community, all the cops might be at the, uh, you know, proverbial donut shop. Yeah, but there, yeah, exactly. You can argue it all over the place. Like just like with car repair, like sometimes you have a guy you go to because you know that they're going to do the right thing. And sometimes like, oh, I'm not really sure if you actually fix this, you know. And right. but just the thing is, like, it just seems like there is like, you know, you always say follow the money. 
that, you know, these big organizations that put their teams into these venues can be like, well, listen, if you don't adopt our national standard, like you're never going to get an all-star game. You're never going to get a postseason whatever if it's like the NCAA. And I mean, it just seems like there is something they could lord over them to make some of these venues really, you know, lean in on it. Or at least, or you know what? Or at least pretend. Like, yeah, we tested it 50 times. (laughs) Great, fine. Like, let's just agree that you didn't, but that'll be fine. But, uh, so now let me, now I know you you just kind of let it slip a little bit that you're you're boiling water with you boiling water in the sink with your chicken, but now that you're an expert <laughs> in this field, like how have you educated yourself as a fan? Like if you go to a stadium, are you eating anything, or are you like, or are you more like the woman you profiled in the beginning of your piece, who's like, nope, that's a no for me. I, I don't know if I would say I'm an expert per se, but I'm I'm well versed in this field, yeah. and I. I would, yeah. I mean, everything comes with risk, right? And I, and I think, I think just knowing sort of what to order and what to look. For, I mean, there's only so much you can do, right? Because you can't, as a fan, you don't see back in the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're at a place and you see a worker who has just, um, you know, put out the trash and then immediately goes to handle your Sam, I actually have done this before. I wasn't at a stadium, but I was at a restaurant and. Mm-hmm. I saw some, I ordered something. I saw a food service worker, I, I touch, I can't remember what it was, did something with her hands that she shouldn't have done, then touched my food. I, I walked out. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it, it does, I didn't, I, I, I was, I was conflicted, but yeah, I walked out. So I, I think fans um, could be, you know, you can be a little more aware. I, one thing that the, the food safety people do say is, like, you know, you do need to be careful with the very young, the very old, and anyone mm-hmm. who might have a compromised immune system. And I think, you know, a lot of, you know, I think people like that take precautions wherever they go, sure. right? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I still, I probably wouldn't order sushi um, just, you know, just <laughs> just because that just doesn't sit well with me. But, well, that's like the Mad um, Libs, like, you know, should you order this here? It's like, I don't know, you know. Like, should I get, like, if I'm going out for seafood, should I get it at the ballpark? I'm going to say probably not. Well, and the one thing that, that I definitely would do after this is if something happened, I would let somebody know. I, I wouldn't go, you know, I wouldn't go to social media. I would, you know, go to the, the venue. I would go to the health department and be like, look, you know, this happened to me. This is where I was. And I just, you know, want to point it out in case there's something going on here. Well, I, you've definitely uh, opened a lot of eyes with this one. And uh, I'm sure even though everyone's read this story, next time I go to a sporting event, I'm still probably going to be standing like 20 people deep when I go to the concession stand. <laughs> well, I think uh, hey, I, we're I, hungry. I uh, Thomas Jumalan there saying, you know, whatever you do, wash your hands. Uh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like the nachos were great. But the nachos were great. They had a little zest on it because I poured hand sanitizer over them. There you go. It's tangy. Delicious. Well, Paula, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you uh, making the time for us and really educating us today. Hey, you're welcome. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories podcasts.